and welcome to Consumer Choice Radio. We're broadcasting on the radio here on the Big Talker 1067 FM out of Wilmington, North Carolina, and Saga 960 AM in the Peel region, Ontario, Canada. I'm one half of your host, Yael Ososki, broadcasting to you from the mountains of the Republic of Georgia. And I'm joined, as always, by my colleague, David Clement, who unfortunately cannot be here in Toronto, Ontario. David, how goes it? Well, it's going it's going well. Um fully vaccinated, but um little having a having some FOMO, some fear of missing out right now because you and the rest of the team are uh, as you said in the country of Georgia, which is a very unique place, and I am unfortunately not there due to some travel restrictions and timelines for vaccines, but um yeah, uh having some FOMO, but other than that uh, life is pretty good. And it uh, it is indeed terrible restrictions that have kept David from being here. We're with the rest of our colleagues at the Consumer Choice Center. We're a global organization, so we got people uh, who work on our issues across the world in different countries, and we're all united for our kind of staff retreat and uh, beautiful place, uh, the Republic of Georgia. Not very well known much in North America. It's becoming more well known because of its wine industry. There's a lot of innovation here. Uh, they've also been invaded by the Russians a good number of times. So you probably remember the Russian-Georgia War 2008 uh, and many other atrocities. Uh, but David, it, it's been sad without you and your spirit. And unfortunately, the regulations kept you from joining because uh, there's a lot of people here. They uh, they had their one shot and that was it. Or you know they just had to take the PCR test. But Canada does not uh, does not leave a lot of room to maneuver on these questions. No, yeah, I just missed the window. You had to be two weeks beyond your second dose in order to not have to um, deal with all the quarantine restrictions coming home. So that left me out. But um, yeah, you know what? Things are looking up here. Um, weather's beautiful. So I'm I'm looking on the bright side. I'm looking on the bright side and. We saw somebody go to space this week. Well, kind of, kind of space, but we did see somebody, <laughs> um, which is uh, actually go into space. Yeah, yeah. You watched it, so tell us more about it. Um, yeah. So Jeff Be- Bezos, the founder of Amazon, um, went to space in a rocket. Essentially, um, I think he spent about eleven minutes in what would be classified as space. Um, very cool. Uh, if you followed the, <laughs> if you follow the, the reaction on Twitter, you would think that Jeff Bezos is evil for, uh, for going to space and spending so much money to do that. But I think so many people who complain, so uh, first off, he paid for it himself. It's not like he lobbied the government to like, pay for whatever they were doing. He did this on his own. So he's paying out of his own pocket or through his own company. Um, So it's not costing you anything as a taxpayer uh, for our American listeners. That's a positive. Two, when people do crazy things like this, it makes the future of that crazy thing less crazy. And what I mean by that is, I mean... It wasn't, within the last 110 years, humans had not flown. Um, And think about where we came in in that time span from the first flight with the Wright brothers to the numerous 
aviation options available to you for travel, military purposes, etc. You name it. Um, the reason that that's possible is because people take risks like this and they do interesting things and they challenge the status quo. And so everyone's complaining like, oh, he could have spent that money feeding the poor and all of these other kind of non sequiturs. Um, and it's just important to remember that all of that progress in in that kind of technological advancement is only possible because people take risks. And so I think in 20 years, um, we'll probably look back on this and go, oh, yeah, remember when only billionaires could go to space? Um, it will become something that maybe millionaires can do. Or maybe if we fast forward 30, 40 years, becomes something that's um, not as crazy as it seems right now. Um, so it's it's important to. It'll be just like the it'll be like the trip to Cuba. It'll be the middle class that'll yeah. be enjoying space. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. With this, it's uh, I've been watching a lot of uh, Star Trek: The Original Series on Netflix. A little consumer corner, and uh, just interesting program, obviously from the 1960s, and just what they imagined the future would kind of be like, and how space travel would work. And how you would actually get from the ship to the planet and the types of things that you would do in space. I mean, all that was it was just amazing. And it's because of that creativity and thinking about it and postulating and, you know, having a philosophy of how we're going to do this. We're living in this moment. And I think it's a it's a celebration. I know this is kind of the Bernie Sanders argument is like, you know, why are we spend all this money to go into space when we got poor, starving, hardworking people at home? Well, you know, again, as you mentioned, David, private money. Yeah private investment and it's going to be just a totally different age there for space yeah if, th if this was a nasa mission then that would be a legitimate point because you're talking about scarce government resources right every dollar you spend on something uh, in terms of taxpayer money is a dollar that it doesn't get spent elsewhere so totally legitimate if we're talking about nasa but we're just talking about some guy um using his own money to pay for this and so that uh, that argument really doesn't hold um yeah it just people are so whiny um in terms of other people's money um i mean you could if you want to criticize that's Amazon, the one thing we're very good at doing is we're very good at being envious <laughs> yeah but it's it, it's kind of childish like i see i mean tulsi gabbard for example someone who i have a lot of respect for i think she's um She's usually pretty. Uh, she's usually pretty punchy, but she's also uh, she also provides some nuance to those who follow democratic politics. She just had some awful tweets about how Jeff Bezos should go to space and not come back. <laughs> just it's like, what are you doing? Why? Where? Where is this hatred for this private citizen coming from? Other than the fact that he has a lot of money, and it would be nice if we had a lot of money. Yeah, basically. Well, I hope that uh, we have more of these in the future. Uh, I hope I can win my own lottery ticket to go into space. I, I still am super interested. I'd love to go. Uh, you know, it's how many people have been to space. You know, you look at the total Earth population, six and a half billion people. And, and you know, what is, what is that who are living today? You know, it's less yeah. than 60, maybe? I don't know. My, my, favorite, um, my, my favorite quote was from, so it's a picture of Earth from the International Space Station. 
Um, or it may be from the moon. I don't know what, which one it is. But you see Earth in front of you. And then the quote is, everyone who has ever lived and died is, on, is in this photo. Think about that for a second. Like every single person in all of human history, with the exception of like the person taking the photo, is in the photo of Earth. It's like, oh, wow. Okay, that really makes you feel small there. Everything you've ever known, every experience you've ever had, every person you've ever met or crowded yep. airport or highway. Yeah. I don't know, man. I think it's a new age. I'd love to see how these products would be available. I'd love to be able to add to cart and a Blue Origin trip, um, you know, or add to cart from uh, from Amazon or something like this. Uh, but that that's cool to see. But back here on Earth, uh, David, we've got uh, we also have some strange things going on. Uh, this is an article I read that I think will be covered a lot more. And we've talked a little bit about the influence of the Chinese Communist Party. Uh, but now we have mm-hmm. more materialized threats that have been unveiled. And this elite cyber hacking unit in China, uh, the U.S. actually came out officially and accused China of these large scale cyber attacks, including on Microsoft uh, and LinkedIn uh, a couple of months ago. And now the Biden administration is indicting the Chinese military specifically and uncovering the hacking operations that are being conducted in universities and foreign companies and different government agencies. There's this level that the Chinese Communist Party has been able to infiltrate uh, that actually is uh, very dangerous for private companies, for consumers, for your information, your data. And we already know what it was at two years ago. My uh, credit information was hacked. Uh, and it was basically by the Chinese military. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, and the, the the weird thing is that that's not even like the craziest thing that happened in regards to China this last week. I think the craziest thing was um, on Chinese state television. Um, they essentially threatened Japan and said, hey, Japan... If when and, and this is their words, not mine, because I wouldn't use the word liberate. When they so Chinese state television saying, "When we liberate Taiwan, if you intervene, we'll nuke you." <laughs> and it's like, um, whoa, yeah, uh, okay. So we we are now closer to um, the reemergence of uh, nuclear weapons being used, which is not great, um, not great for. Um, july 2021 um but yeah well i mean it it does feel like taiwan is probably like the next global conflict um in terms of what happens because as soon as the chinese do invade um and try and erode the end of the independence that does exist for taiwan that will be a real test for countries like canada the united states britain australia etc including japan um on whether we defend it um, so not consumer related, but important and relevant nonetheless. No, I, and that would definitely just shake things up and not be a good thing. Uh, you know, being at peace is always, obviously a lot better for people to trade together, for us to have lower prices, be able to enjoy our lives, uh, not be conscripted to go off to war and to uh, have these, these con- conflicts. I mean, you thought the, because COVID excuse was bad, just wait until it's, well, because of the Chinese war, uh, that'll be even worse. Yeah. Have you heard yeah, that a lot yeah, lately? Exactly. Have you heard the because COVID? Is there something ridiculous uh, you have an example of? Uh, you know, you haven't been able to get a, a certain product. You haven't been able to rent a car or something else where they've used the because COVID on um, you. 
I mean, not on me personally, but I I think the the I mean the real tragedy is the delay in some surgeries still. I'm I'm fairly certain that there's still a backlog here um for various surgeries and the last time they did any update on it it was it was confirmed that people were dying waiting for surgeries that were canceled because covid um and i would say that that's probably the most egregious um that one of the funny examples is you couldn't get diet dr pepper for like 4 months oh no <laughs> you couldn't get diet dr diet you couldn't get Diet, Diet Dr. Pepper. Um, you couldn't. There were a couple other things, like uh, certain flavors of chips. And actually, a really good reporter for the Financial Post looked into it. And he's like, hey, where did the Sweet Chili Heat Doritos go? And he, like, spent a week investigating what happened. And it was one of those things that, like, because of COVID, they had to limit supply chains and limit the lines on the production facility, in the production facility. Um and so we didn't have like sweet chili heat Doritos for three, four months either. Um, but I don't know if there's anything else. And millions of Canadian consumers and ship lovers exactly. were left out from their favorite <laughs> snack. Tonight bum, bum, on the bum. news at Where six. Where are sweet chili heat Doritos? <laughs> we asked the prime minister. <laughs> yeah, there's there's been a couple of these. And will the prime minister investigate... <laughs> The chip shortage. Yeah. I mean, and then there's the real chip shortage uh, related to the cars and the, the, the chips that go into the cars that have made, you know, messed everything up. Uh, there's been a, a lot of that, a lot of it having to do with travel, but then just supply chains in general. And I can imagine it's probably going to affect many more things throughout. And I guess that just teaches us a lesson about pausing operations at factories. I mean, yeah, we have uh, Jocelyn Bamford of the. Coalition for Concerned Manufacturers joining us. Uh, we spend a lot of time talking about how these things impact consumers, and so I figured it would be interesting to hear from someone who actually makes stuff um, about how some of the impending regulations impact them. So, uh, interesting perspective from her. Uh, happy to have her on the show. Um, and so, you will hear that right after the commercial break. Uh, so, stay tuned. And we're back on Consumer Choice Radio, coming to you on Saga 960 AM in the Peel region. And with our listeners on the Big Talker FM out of Wilmington, North Carolina. Uh, I'm very pleased to introduce uh, our next guest. Um, obviously, on this program, we spend a lot of time talking about how various regulations impact consumers. Um, but we're going to shift gears here for a moment and sort out how some of these regulations from Ottawa impact manufacturers. And so with us today, I have Jocelyn Bamford, who is the vice president of Automatic Coding Limited and one of the founders of the Coalition of Concerned Manufacturers. Jocelyn, thank you very much for joining us on Consumer Choice Radio. My pleasure. Happy to be with you and your listeners. Fantastic. Fantastic. So, I mean, right off the bat, give our listeners a preview of what the Coalition of Concerned Manufacturers is or what you do and what you're really focused on. So we started the coalition almost four years ago and we started in response to uh, the green energy program in Ontario, which was driving up electricity costs and driving out jobs primarily to the United States. Um, and 
throughout the world to India and to China because they were in search of affordable energy. So uh, for uh, us in Ontario, uh, the uh, wind and solar projects were paid for primarily by manufacturers and primarily by small manufacturers uh, through the global adjustment charges. So we were paying like 32, 34 cents for electricity and the going rate was between four and six cents. So uh, just becoming really unaffordable uh, to, to operate a business. And then cap and trade came in, which was like death by a thousand cuts because uh, cap and trade, which a lot of people think that the big producers were uh, paying for their emissions. But what really happened was the big producers got credits from the Ontario government and that was being paid for by the, the consumers and the small to medium-sized business who had to pay for it. So we went to a bunch of business associations that we paid a lot of money to represent us. And we found out that a lot of them had really been co-opted by NGOs and environmental groups. So a lot of business associations did not have a lot of uh, representation for the small to medium-sized business. And worse, they were taking money from the government to become talking heads or super PACs to the government. So it was really a big system. So we realized that we had nobody to represent jobs in the economy. So we started our own coalition of primarily small to medium-sized businesses to advocate for better policies so we can keep jobs here in Canada. Awesome. Uh, I mean, it's when you say when you mentioned those exemptions, I've seen some some similar figures when I was digging into um, emissions from steel. And then you, you see where the exemptions are and how that quickly adds up to that. I think at the time it was something like 90 percent of their emissions were exempt, um, which just kind of leaves you scratching your head in terms of the direction of the policy, its purpose, if it's symbolism or if it's actually effective and what the costs are. But um, one of the issues that we've talked about on our show relatively frequently over the last four uh, or five months is Ottawa's approach to plastics, whether it be the SEPA designation or single-use item bans and things like that. And um, you've raised some concerns um, on this policy. And so I'd love to hear from you from a manufacturer's perspective um, what these regulations really mean for the industry. So, so plastics is, uh, the plastics industry is huge um, in uh, Canada, primarily in Ontario. And, and let's set the table for the discussion. Um, just like greenhouse gases in Canada, where we're, we're just around 1%, plastics in our waterways um, in Canada is similarly 1%. So it's really not just like the attack on the resource sector, it's really not about environmental issues. What it really is, and we need to ask ourselves, why is the government under the Canadian Environmental Protection Agency declaring plastics as toxic? It's really about a power grab. They're trying to take away powers from the provincial government and centralize them in the federal government. Because if the designations of plastics as toxic um, is, is put through, we will really have powers for um, industry regulations, uh, powers for um, other government uh, rules that are belong in the province, uh, centralized in the federal government. 
So it's, it, we come back to Justin Trudeau saying that he is going to reimagine the Canadian economy. And when he said that, this is what he's doing. And he's using this legislation um, to do that, to take powers from the provincial government so that the federal government will decide what businesses we're in, what jobs we have, and what industry we'll be able to um, operate within uh, Canada. So this is a very concerning for people that believe that we have a good balance between the provincial powers and the federal powers. And for those folks that want to continue to not see centralized powers at the federal government, because this is very concerning. Yeah, the, the whole reimagining the, the economy quote always, it left me scratching my head because like about three weeks before that was the talking point. It was all about how we were in the best position economically in comparison to the G7. And so it was a little bit like, wait, last week you were saying that before the pandemic, we were great. And now you're saying you need to reimagine or drastically change the economy and, and what, whatever that means. Um, it always struck me as, as pretty perplexing. But on, on plastic specifically, the thing that really grinds my gears is that there are solutions that exist in regards to the issue of plastic waste. And I mean, we've seen them, a lot of them have come out of from Alberta where you see people essentially taking problematic plastics and turning them into tiles or uh, graphite for construction. Can you explain to our listeners maybe what some of those processes look like or what are some other innovative examples where uh, innovators are solving the problem or at least starting to solve the problem of mismanaged plastic waste? Yeah, there's so many great ideas of innovation um, in Canada, uh, especially coming out of the plastics industry. A big push for the circular economy. Um, if you look at companies like Ice River Springs, which is a bottled water company that uses 100% recyclable plastics, um, the, the, the issue is that uh, um, innovation is great. It's exportable innovation that we can export worldwide to make sure that those jurisdictions that have problems with um, being able to recycle waste uh, all comes from Canada. And, the, and with the federal government trying to uh, destroy that industry that is so world-class and leading, you have to wonder what's behind it. And again, it's, it's this federal government's uh, I believe, wish to reimagine the economy to be in control. It's about power and control and decide what industries we're going to be in, where we're going to work. Um, and, and they're going to be the ones that centrally decide uh, what companies uh, succeed and fail. And, and when you look in the world to where that is successful, it's not successful basically anywhere. Um, innovation and entrepreneurial spirit is what, what drives an economy, what drives us to have better practices. And the plastics industry in Canada is really leading leaders, world leaders in, in that circular economy. And when you look at the alternatives to some of these plastic um, plastics that we make, which kept us so safe during COVID, uh, we have to remember uh, gal, uh, visors, uh, dividers, uh, you know, any, anywhere you look, the vials that uh, delivered our vaccines all came from plastics. And you look at the alternative to those plastics, it, it's, it, the environmental footprint is bigger 
and the ability to recycle is less. So again, when you look at the facts, you have to look at what's motivating. It can't be the environment because the facts don't bear out that it is the environment. So what is it? Again, it's, it's the federal government trying to uh, take powers from the province. Um, and, and when we went to Canadians to ask them, do you want the federal government deciding what industries and having more power, uh, you know, 77% of Canadians said they didn't want uh, this to happen. And um, the provinces don't want to happen so much so that uh, provinces came together um, to deliver uh, a letter to the federal government saying that they don't agree with this SEPA uh, uh, plastics as toxic designation. Um, and we, we're going to see uh, that uh, letter become public. Um, the federal government, uh, Minister Wilkinson, hasn't even acknowledged the letter that came from five provinces representing the most population in Canada, which is Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, Ontario, and Quebec, um, all pushed back against this. And uh, there's been virtually silence um, from the federal government and from the mainstream media, not even covering this. And you know, we really need to push back on the federal government in this power grab because it's not what Canadians want and they haven't have, they don't have a mandate to do this. Yeah, it, it, it almost feels like um, under kind of the banner of symbolism, meaning like, well, people will perceive this policy to have whatever desired outcome. They've created like a boogeyman in terms of plastics. Um and it always struck me as strange because, I mean, there are reasons, um, many of them overlap with environmental reasons on why we use most of these plastic products. I know one of the examples that my co-host and I have often cited is um, baby food in glass jars being 33% um, worse uh, for a catch-all term in terms of environmental impact, mostly just because of the process that it's made, the process to recycle it, its weight. Um, do you think that that's, that conversation has kind of been sidestepped um, by Ottawa where they're, they're maybe, maybe they have the horse blinders on a little bit here where they forget that there's a reason why your vegetables come in the plastic bag or whatever they do uh, come in as opposed to paper. There's a reason why businesses use some of these products. Um, yeah, so yeah, do you think that they've, are they aware or are they just um, kind of ignoring that maybe inconvenient fact? I, I absolutely believe that with the federal government, the facts don't matter. And, and, and we've seen this time and time again. Um, they always say trust the science, but then they never do. So that, that when you look at our resource sector, uh, we have the cleanest resources, in the world and they wanted to shut that down. And the same thing with plastics. We have the absolute world leaders in the circular economy in the plastics industry and great environmental protections in the plastics industry, but it doesn't matter because it's really not about the environment. It's really about power for the federal government and we're taking, uh, uh, centralizing the power, taking away uh, the ability for the provinces to regulate uh, a, a lot of things that they regulate in terms of industry, in terms of recycling, um, in terms of transparency, 
uh, waste management. Those are all provincial jurisdictions and they're trying to sweep that up, not even um, in a, a, a way that is debated at the federal level amongst the politicians, it's going through the Canadian Environmental Protection Agency. So that sidesteps all of uh, government discussion on it and puts it um, in a way that takes powers where most Canadians don't even realize they're doing it and we're not even having a public debate about it. So that to me is the thing that's so frightening because what's the next step that they're going to do? Um, and, and we have seen this um, in uh, the consequences of taking these powers. Uh, we see with not getting our, our pipelines through, we're not getting our resources to market um, and places that have much uh, less environmental protections uh, like Russia and Venezuela fill that void. And we're gonna say the same thing with plastics industry. We're gonna see that going, jobs being lost, companies leaving and less um, environmentally protected uh, jurisdictions taking over and filling that void. And uh, what it means is uh, more power to the central uh, federal government, less power to the provinces, which really should be front and center on the waste and industry area. Um, and, and it really is a recipe for disaster in a lot of areas. Um, so all very concerning and all something we should be discussing and debating in a public forum and not sliding it through this Canadian Environmental Protection Agency. And that, for me, is so frightening because what's next? And we uh, hope to have you back again soon. Absolutely. Look forward to speaking soon. Thanks very much. And we're back here on Consumer Choice Radio. Uh, it was a great, amazing interview. Uh, really cool to get that different perspective uh, particularly those that are impacted by regulation. So we'll also have that up over on our social media channels, consumerchoiceradio.com. You guys can find that. And we do put our interviews up on YouTube uh, if you guys are interested. We had a, a great one with uh, Pierre Polièvre uh, last week that was very successful. Still uh, a lot of fun over there on the YouTubes. We're a multimedia empire here at Consumer Choice Radio, so we'd be sure to bring you that content, and uh, please do share, subscribe, uh, anywhere that you really can see our program. If you're listening on the radio, check out the website, and we do have the podcast version that some of you might be listening to. Uh, so, David, there's a couple other things uh, that have fallen upon my lap, and this one is a bit fun for us, because I know it's something that we have written about in respective countries um, the focus is uh, the Biden executive order on competition and a few things in there that were interesting. There's some hospital price transparency stuff, easing of occupational licensing, the prospect of open banking. Uh, but then there are some big sections having to do with continuing subsidies for farmers, for airlines and for national railways like Amtrak. And uh, I wrote an article in the realclearmarkets.com about some of those efforts. And actually, if you really took a big consumer perspective, you would do things like introduce competition to a national railway service like Amtrak. Like you'd actually stop bailouts of airlines. You'd stop subsidies and permit fees. And then another one, you would actually liberalize alcohol markets. So you would not have uneven taxation. You would not have state monopolies on the sale of spirits like we have in both Ontario and North Carolina, 
funny enough, where both of the radio stations are that era this. And there's a, there's smarter ways that the Biden administration can go, but I think there's a lot of lessons uh, to be used here for different jurisdictions and different countries and just a, a better direction that we can take. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, um, it's definitely... There are some tidbits there that are good. Uh, it, it's kind of like we're seeing, like, old Joe Biden come back a little bit, depending on the issue. Um, I liked what he was asked when he was asked about Cuba, and he he just straight up said that like communism has failed. It's a it's a bad idea. People need to know that. And he's like, and I don't think socialism is a good replacement. And it was like, ooh, market Dems. I could use a little more of that. Um, oh, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I, I would love to see the Jared Polis market Democratic wing of the party like kind of reemerge um, rather than them kind of bending the knee to the AOCs of the party and kind of pushing for some silly policy. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a real mixed bag. Um, it's a real mixed bag. Obviously, there are so many other instances as well in terms of competition where silly regulations really um, limit competition. So that would be that would be if I was writing a law, um, that that would be how I proceed. Is uh, first, what regulations are in the way? Okay, get rid of those, um, and then I would see if 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 it warrants any other um, government action. So. Um, yeah, the President Clement, um, which will never happen, but that would be what I would <laughs> yeah. do. Yeah, no, I think that's a, that's a great approach. And I know in some jurisdictions they have these sunset laws and regulations that are actually timed to expire after a certain number of years, because if they don't make sense anymore or perhaps they've been too burdensome, uh, you can actually find a way to help the people out. And I think that's that's the major focus of... Uh, what I was, you know, describing here and outlining, and it's all fairly universal. You know, everywhere where you have state monopolies on alcohol, uh, liquor is more expensive than it is in places where it is privatized and there's competition. If you look at railway markets where you have competition in a place like Italy, uh, you actually have very cheap uh, transport and. You can't just use the argument that, oh, the U.S. or Canada, they're huge land spaces and it's so expensive to build. It's Well, I mean, this is a place where there's such extreme competition in the railway market. It's made prices so cheap. And really, you're creating that investment because of all those opportunities. Who knows what would happen if you eliminated Via Rail Canada or Amtrak yeah. you know, and had, had these other companies. Uh, that, that is an interesting thing I learned about the freight rail uh, which is a bit different, uh, you know, somewhat privatized, at least in the U.S., but it's actually big Canadian companies uh, that rule the day yes. here south of the border. I did know that. I did know that. I, your comment about Italy brings me back to traveling um, in Italy and being able to take a train from Florence to Rome in like two hours, which is the equivalent of going from like Toronto to Montreal, um, which on Via Rail takes you like eight hours or something. Um so I mean, it's like five, five and a half or six if they don't stop. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's just like when you when you experience that elsewhere in terms of um, traveling by train, immediately you're like, wow, why is why does it suck so bad where we are? <laughs> um, yeah, and David, your point I think brings up one reason why I like doing this radio program, why we love 
hearing from listeners mm-hmm. and why we do have a bit of a unique show because we focus on issues that are global, things that impact people in the United States, uh, things that impact people in Canada, and I think draw lessons from that. And it's something that you naturally pick up when you are traveling and you see, hey, wait, this system and the way they do it here is much better, or it's obviously worse, or here are some good ideas. And I, I know that for a lot of people, when they listen to their talk radio, uh, things are you know a lot, a lot about local programming or about sports and so the local sports team or uh, you know the innings and outs of whatever's happening in a particular town. For us, it is about ideas and the best ideas and the best policies that help improve our lives as consumers. And it's it's hard, I think, to find the direct competition of what we're doing, but I'm really happy to be doing it all the time, mm-hmm. David. It's uh, cool to connect. If you guys are listening and you kind of like this, you know, always do send us the feedback uh, over on ConsumerChoiceRadio.com, and uh, we, we'd love to hear from you. Yeah, yeah. And I, I real quickly, I want to shift gears to the world of sports um, because the Olympics are coming up in Tokyo, and... Their the the ability to deal with COVID is is already a problem. Uh, I think a bunch of swimmers for the Polish team are now out um, because they've tested positive, and it's just becoming a real headache. And Michael Irving, um, legendary football player, Hall of Famer, um, he got in some hot water. Um, for basically saying if you don't have if you're a pro athlete and you don't have the vaccine you just don't want to win you don't want to win bad enough uh, and he got in some hot water about that because people are like well it's their choice and of course it is their choice but i really liked his point in saying yeah if you don't get the vaccine it just shows that you really don't want to win enough uh, or badly enough because all you are is one positive test away from losing your dream right it's it's the week before the olympics you test positive you have to isolate for the 10 days or 14 days and then everything you train for is gone it's gone you're out um see you in the next four years maybe um for the olympics and so uh it was funny just to see the reaction to his comment but i think he was spot on in terms of the 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 athletes who are vaccine hesitant. It's like, okay, I mean, if you're willing to willing willing to risk um, a positive test, basically destroying your opportunity to achieve the ultimate goal, then you just don't really want to win. Yeah, I think you're totally right. And you know, to have this great opportunity, have all these years of training, of putting all of that investment in your time, and your workout, and your routine, and practice, and then just one test ruins it all for you it's uh it's definitely true and i there's so much of this that the inconvenience is built into the system that we now have of the international vaccine regimen really all the incentives just point to taking it and there's a lot of people who are opposed ideologically medically or otherwise and that's fine they can do that on their own time for myself i don't want to have those barriers you know the only reason i was able to travel here to the Republic of Georgia is because I had my vaccine pass and was able to show it. You know, did I lose my liberty because of that? I don't know. I'm the one traveling. 
Yeah, <laughs> I don't. I don't think so. Um, I mean, and uh, this actually goes. You can take the athlete example, and you can apply it down the board, just to people who are working, right? So you make the choice not to get the vaccine. You get COVID. You get sick. You have to take time off work. You lose. Um, you lose income because let's say maybe you're out of sick days. It's like, well, I mean, at this point, it's only your fault. It sucks. It oh yeah, sucks that and the worst I've situation. seen is, is uh, as the worst I've seen as well is that in you know schools and kindergartens and things you'll have one positive student, and essentially they'll the whole class will have to isolate, and then maybe it's the parents of those kids have to isolate, and then it's all this cacophony that's the, the worst. I think Boris Johnson over in the United Kingdom, even though he's fully fully vaxxed, he had someone in his circle who uh, tested positive, and then he's isolating. And, I mean, I remember that was all the trend, especially when Trudeau, uh, I think, was exposed. I think, I guess it was his wife uh, when that happened. And it's, I don't know, man, I'm glad I don't have that right now in uh, my life. I guess my my chances for contracting it are much lower. But when you see how much it impacts this, when it impacts business, when it impacts sports, when it impacts your ability to travel and to go anywhere— yeah, you know, not everything is perfect, but no. it's better to have more freedom than less. Well, and we, so I had this conversation, I, I was a guest on a TV program here, and the person I was opposite with was basically saying, no, we, we like businesses shouldn't be able to ask if you have the vaccine or set their own terms. And that immediately in my head, I'm going, well, that's an incredibly selfish position because it's not just like oh like you don't like that i don't have the vaccine and you're discriminating against again discriminating against me it's if you have an outbreak in your business think about the costs that you have to incur to shut down so loss of revenue um maybe certain staff have to isolate staff shortages you probably have to invest in uh, some sort of deep clean and you got to pay for that. And so it, it just the idea that it's like, well, no, you can't, you, you can't ask me if I have the vaccine. Um, and I should just be able to infer any costs onto you um, because I don't choose to get the vaccine. Just seems, it just seemed so selfish. And obviously there are like legitimate reasons um, like, like medical exemptions and things like that for people to not get it. But those, those are so few and, and like rare that really it's, that's not what we're talking about. That's what, that's, that's the very useful banner that the anti-vaxxers will use, but there's, there are not that many people who fall into that category. Um, so it just, it, it was quite irritating to have somebody essentially say, um, no, you shouldn't you shouldn't be able like a business shouldn't be able to set their own terms in ter- in regards to who they want to serve uh, which ultimately means like i can just run amok and and it doesn't matter if i have this infectious disease that's going to cost them a ton of money if i do yeah and and really i'm going to have to take the more uh, <clears throat> the american approach here cuz in the us the assumption is now that if you do not have your mask on at all you have been vaccinated that's just kind of what the rule is and you know the mass mandates mostly gone throughout the entire country except for Los Angeles County and it's not a thing there for businesses to ask for your vaccination pass 
and uh, principally, I guess it's against the law as well, probably anti-constitutional, I'm not sure. But I do know that in Austria, it's totally different. There, when I get a haircut, uh, when I go visit, you know, whatever particular store, um, things like the supermarket and, and the like, that's fine. You can just walk in. But if you're at a place getting a service, then you are going to have to show it. And it's just normal when you go to the restaurant, you go to the bar, uh, you just kind of show it and it's fine. And that is that. I think if we were to just bar people and I don't know, I think it's very difficult because I'm looking for the end of this as we all are. And if that's one of the ways that we can do it for now, I all the better. Yeah, that is good communication. It's like once you're done your two weeks after your second dose, rules don't apply. You're good. Go out. Live your life. Enjoy. Hug, hug a family member. Uh, go for a beer. Like Do the fun things. Um, <laughs> hug them hard. Yeah. We're going to hug them hard, David. And uh, you guys enjoy. We are uh, done for the hour. Pleasure to talk to you again, David. And uh, talk to you again next week. And that does it for Consumer Choice Radio. Thank you for joining us for the hour and for all the other past shows and archives. Check out Consumer Choice Radio for much more. Consumer Choice Radio, hosted by Yael Ososki and myself, David Clement, is a syndicated weekly conversation featuring the latest news, interviews, and expert analysis that covers consumer topics from around the world, focusing on innovation, tech, regulatory policy, and science. Tune in every week to learn why consumer choice matters. You can find all of our previous episodes, interviews, and show notes over on ConsumerChoiceRadio.com, as well as the podcast version of this show. And as always, be sure to subscribe and rate us wherever you do listen to your podcasts. You can follow us on Twitter at ConsumerCRadio, myself at Y-A-E-L-O-S-S, and David at Clement Liberty. And find our interviews on YouTube and Instagram just looking up Consumer Choice Radio. If there is a consumer issue affecting you that you think that we should cover, email us directly at hello at consumerchoiceradio.com. Thank you again for listening.
you were destroyed through COVID-19.